0: around what we refer to as the Lord's table. So we like to have a proper table and try and fit everybody around it as we can. And at the center of the gathering is very often, and in the early church would be every single gathering, would be the meal, would be the Lord's Supper, communion, Eucharist, we like to call it Eucharist in our community. Eucharist means Thanksgiving or to give thanks. So, um, and it's a central it's a central thing. So if you think of it to get back to the movement, is you move towards a Sunday and towards this table with this wine and this bread, and you consume it and it feeds you and feeds your spirit and then you move out again into the world and go and live the life of Christ, and then you move back to the Sunday again and at the center of the Sunday is this meal so it's this embodiment of what it means to be a Christian that you consume the Lord's blood and his body in order to go and do the work that is necessary and then you come back again always to it because it's the center there is a center to the universe it's not you surprise it's a a lamb on a throne that was slaughtered And um, this movement is also, as we consume, as we move back to a Sunday and we consume the body and the blood of Christ, we move out into the world and we are the body and the blood of Christ. And when Jesus says in Luke, he says, do this in remembrance of me. And he breaks breaks the bread and he pours the wine. is not only to eat the meal, but to also live as a sacrifice. To say, not only do this, have this meal, but do this—what I am doing with my life, giving it as a sacrifice to you and to the entire creation—is do you must do that too. And that's why it's so it's so beautiful again to see to live this almost this eucharistic life and have a eucharistic spirituality is something that we hold very dear, or that I hold very dear in this community. Is so that we, we want to live, we want to be the living body of Christ in the world right so which is why the eucharist forms such an essential part of our spirituality it's almost that like we have this eucharistic spirituality that we consume the body we ingest it it goes inside of us it incarnates incarnates means takes on flesh so it takes on flesh inside of us and you live it out again so <clears throat> in uh corinthians paul writes to the people and says that when you when you um take part of the bread and the wine you must recognize the body of Christ right so that has like multiple layers of meaning it means the one the one level that you must recognize and take it seriously that this is what is washing away the brokenness and the sin of creation right you must take it seriously the symbol and on the other on the other level one of Paul's favorite terms for the church is what the body right so the Corinthian church had very wealthy people and very poor people. And the wealthy people would have lots of food and drink and get drunk at the, at the table while the poor people had nothing to eat. And Paul was really angry with them and said, You must recognize the body. Right? So recognize one another. That, that being a Christian is not a Lone Ranger sport. That it's something that you do together. That it's something that we are bound together around the table. That we share the bread that we share the wine right so when you do this you recognize all of these layers of meaning that it is something that is central to our spirituality it is the body and the blood of christ it is what brings salvation to the world and also at the same time it's like i am not in this alone i am responsible for the person next to me and they are responsible for me in turn and so we walk together so layers upon layers upon layers upon layers of meaning and what I love about it is that it's an ancient ritual. If you think that it's, it's drawn over from the Passover, so <clears throat> 6,000 odd years ago, or maybe more, less, depending on how you count. Um, this has been kind of going on in one form or another. So when you partake of it, it's not something that some guy in the States thought up, and this would be a really cool thing to do on a Sunday. Like, this is something that is ancient, And that billions of people have done before you all across the globe, people that don't look like you, people that don't talk like you, people that are very, very different from you, have done the same exact thing. And so we recognize the body, saying that we share this global, this universal love and the salvation, which is amazing, which is an incredible thing. So um, (coughs) before we start, if you're new, who hasn't been to a Eucharist at third place? Everybody. Most people. yeah. So, uh, we do it a little bit differently. So, um, what we do is, in, in, the ancient, in ancient times, if you were a free person, not, meaning not a slave, you would not serve yourself. You would be served by somebody else. So, we have this rule that for the first round of the Eucharist, you are not allowed to serve yourself. Somebody else must serve you, right? Because we are all free. So we take the bread and break it and you give it to the person next to you. You look them in the eye. It's very important. You look them in the eye and you say, this is Christ's body broken for you. Right? This is Christ's body broken for you or his body broken for you. And then the other person receives it Receiving is really important in Eucharist. You don't take Eucharist; you receive it. So, okay, that's a whole different teaching. But <laughs> let me just get to it. It's really important. Receiving grace—you don't take grace; you receive it. God gives, and you receive. It's very different to taking something. Nothing is by your power. The only thing that's by your power is receiving. Right? You never take; you receive. So, massive difference. So you receive. You receive the bread. Then um, you take the wine. And you, again, you look the other person in the eye. And you say, this is Christ's blood poured out for you. His blood poured out for you. And you receive it. And then you say, you are free. It's our little bit that we add. You are free. And then the the person that receives the wine responds. And says, I know. Not thank you. You say, I know. No. Know. So, knowing in scripture is uh, so Adam knew his wife, right? So it means a lot more than just the hi, I know you, we're Facebook friends. It's a little bit deeper than that, right? <laughs> Adam knew his wife, Eve. And when you know God, when you know that you are free, it is a deep internal intimate knowing so we the bread this is his body broken for you receive it the wine this is his blood poured out for you you are free and then the response i know okay so this is how we do it so i hope does everybody have a cup or a cup that you can use just down that coffee just uh, put up your hand if you need a cup. <coughs> <coughs> that um, what this means, when we drink and drink the wine and we share the bread, we share in Christ's death. Our baptism shares in his resurrection, and this ritual shares in his death. And um, it also proclaims, like it, it, it plays in three times, almost. It says, it harkens back to the past when Christ was crucified. It is now when uh, we are the church, when we are the body. And it also points to the future when Christ will come again. And um, the core message of Christianity is resurrection and um it struck me so hard this week that if we if we don't have resurrection if we don't if we don't have that then what do we have like we have nothing like paul said if if christ did not rise from the dead then you are we are all still in our sin and everything is useless sin meaning brokenness and anguish and pain and it was so so powerful to me to say that there's so much in, in my life and in all of us in all of our lives that is still broken and still completely utterly messed up and I'm sure if we go around the table and start asking everybody's story and start asking what you know you're struggling with and what you're going through and there's just there's so much death around this table and so much death still in the world that the only thing that uh, keeps me going or that should keep us going is the hope of resurrection. It's to say that it doesn't matter how dark it gets. and like It doesn't matter how difficult it gets. It doesn't matter if you die. It's like my cousin her seven seven month old baby died yesterday seven months old and um, if we do not have resurrection then what what does his death even mean if we do not have resurrection then why are you like what what is the hope what what are we doing here what do we have we have nothing we have literally nothing we have only death But we know that as Christians that it doesn't matter how dark it is or how broken our relationships is or our friendships are or whatever, that there is always a hope for resurrection, that there will be a new morning. There will be a new morning. And even though we are sad maybe tonight or today or this week or this life, it doesn't matter because there will be a new morning. So... As we share the bread and the wine tonight, think also of that, that whatever is broken inside you or inside your life, that there will be resurrection, either now or sometime in the future, but there will be. Let me pray for us and then we can share. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you shared um, your body and your blood with us. I want to ask you to bless this bread. Thank you that you gave it to us and bless this wine. Thank you that you gave it to us. And as it fills our bodies, may we remind, be reminded of your death and also of your resurrection. May we re- be reminded of everybody around this table and that we are bound together by your blood and by your body. We pray this in your name. Amen. You guys are welcome to share the bread and the wine. <laughs> <laughs> and uh what? Deep Dopper. Yeah, so we have a very reformed and a charismaniac telling stories tonight. So it should be interesting. Like we always had at some point um Nick Major still came and he was like our resident Catholic. And we had faith. Do you guys remember Faith? And Faith used to bring a dress, a special dress to dance in when we sing. So we always had like Nick with, uh, with his Catholic upbringing and then Faith on the other side with her dress dancing, which was kind of cool. And they always, also, all, always had the biggest opinions about, you know, whatever, which is kind of cool. So I'm going to hand over ladies first. So Christian, <laughs> we're going to... I'm going
1: Okay. okay, cool. Is on? Okay. Yeah. Hello? Yeah. Ah, great. Okay, I'll do that. Okay, so hello, I'm Antoinette, the non charismatic one. Um, Yeah, so thank you very much that I can share my story tonight. I think. The sharing of stories is what makes Third Place so special to me. Um, one of my favorite authors is Donald Miller, and he says, Only the good stories have the characters different at the end than at the beginning, which I think is a nice summary of what being a Christian is. Um, we all kind of start out broken, and we end up pretty broken too, but somewhere in between there's change, which is nice. And um, yeah, so I just want to share a little bit about my life with you. Um, Before I share my story, there are a few things you have to know about me that might give you context about my story. So, I'm an only child, um, but the only child of two teachers, so you don't get spoiled too much because they don't like spoiling children, unfortunately. (laughs) Um, Only child, very close with both my parents, my mom's pretty much one of my best friends, and my dad was my hero all my life. i 'm a perfectionist, which is also kind of an only child thing, and um, I think when Pierre was talking about salvation and kind of living a resurrected life and and it made me think of that very often as perfectionists, we tend to feel like we have to earn salvation and you know we have to do really good things all the time and beat ourselves up when we don 't do good things um, and I still struggle with that i going back to being an only child, one of my biggest fears growing up was something happening to one of my parents, because I love I love people. I'm a big extrovert, and I, I do enjoy being alone from time to time, but being alone and being lonely are two of my biggest fears. And for a very long time, being vulnerable was also one of my other other biggest fears. It's still not fun, but, but it's been something I've worked on. Um, I I'm a big fan of fixing things. If anyone's done Finder, one of my strengths is restorative, which is why I became a speech therapist, because you get to fix things and help people. Um, Very easy to help others, not always fun to help yourself. And that means that sometimes I tend to want to control everything, because then everything will work out fine, or so I think. And I don't want to hand over control to anyone else. My mother still teases me that one of my first phrases as a child was axel self. I'll do it myself. Um, so so that's me. It's not the part that you would put on the online dating profile, really. It's Those are the, the not-so-fun parts. Um, other than that, I like long walks on the beach and all of that. Um, yeah, wine, all of that. Um, but yeah, so that's who I am, or well, some of some parts of me. Now my story, like I said, only child, turning 28 this year, I grew up in the West Rand of Joburg with two really attentive, really awesome parents. And when I was five years old, my dad was diagnosed with cancer. Um, That was April of 1994, and I was going to school the following year, and at that point, they had told my parents that he would not see me go to grade one. So, Quite a shock and quite a blow. He was 45 years old at the time. And that is also a whole other story and I could keep you for an hour just with that. But I grew up with my dad there, fully healthy and kind of a little medical miracle living in our home. He saw me go to school, he saw me graduate from varsity, he saw me start my first job and my second job and my third job. So, (laughs) I've only had three, so. (laughs) So, um, yeah, very, very fortunate to say that, especially today, being Father's Day. So, flash forward to 2013. Um, I was in third place already at that time. And I remember, I think it was about January or February, Joe was still here and it was one of his last teachings, I think, that I was still sitting on that side and he gave this amazing teaching about how do you praise God and, still, and not blame God when things are going badly. And I remember sitting there and thinking, gosh, this is such a relevant topic for so many people in my life. <laughs> it's not me. <laughs> because, you know, I have it under control. I'm, I'm great. Very easy to be self-righteous when everything's going well. <laughs> um, because it really was going well in my life still is, but, you know. And um, that was about February of 2013. And in June that year, on the 13th of June, it was the Thursday before Father's Day, my mom phoned me to tell me that my dad had been admitted to the hospital. Um, with, at that point, they didn't know what. Just that there was a lot of, um, yeah he was having difficulty breathing, and and he was in the medical ward at that point, um, eventually transferred to ICU, and this was a whole roller coaster for the next six and a half, seven weeks, Um, and he passed away on the 27th of July that year. Now, when I think about my story and when I think about that time in my life, there's a lot that I can talk about, and a lot that in hindsight is significant, but there are a few things that really played a role in my story there. So keeping in mind my control freak, perfectionist, hate, vulnerability, I'll do it myself nature, um, I spent those seven weeks throwing myself into my work. I'm a speech therapist and I work in a hospital environment and I actually had a patient who was the same age as my dad, also on a ventilator, also in ICU. and you know, kind of rushing from one patient to the next. I used to go in at five o'clock in the morning and go home at six at night and work through lunch. And if other people said they would want to see one of my patients for me, I would say, no, I'm fine, I'm handling it. Because when they told me that they wanted to help me, I heard it as, you're not coping, you're failing. And I wanted to be busy because being busy made it easy not to think about things. Um, I grew up in a great Christian home, and, and things like Bible study together and praying together was just what we did. And I grew up with a dad who told me, you know, I'm praying for you. And when he said that, he really meant it. He didn't say it as a nice thing to say. Um, he would pray for me when I drove from home, to, to their house to go visit them, that I would be safe, and so in those that time when my dad was sick, I was very, very angry at God, because I felt like, I have this father who would give you the clothes off his back, who used to tip waiters extra if they were bad, because he felt that if it's a bad waiter they don't get tips so he should probably help them out um, <laughs> so if he spilled a drink you were golden um and i think you know when i we, at his funeral even people would come up and say you know i don't know if he ever told you but he paid for my child's school fees one month or he bought my child school clothes when there weren't any. And we didn't know these things, but it's just the kind of person he was. He really cared for other people, and that's how he lived his faith. He was by no means a perfect person, but he was still my hero. And so I was very, very angry at that point in time. And I avoided God, and I avoided talking to him. And so when people were praying for me or praying with me, I'd kind of just close my eyes and nod along. But I was giving god the silent treatment all the way very maturely and (laughs) and so there were a few incidents there was one where i sat in my office between patients i think i just put down a phone call and i remember um i don't know if any of you know the song the valley song by jaws of clay i used to listen to it all the time in high school But I hadn't heard it for years at that point and I remember sitting there and it was as if someone had switched on a radio right next to my ears. And the only sound, the only kind of line that kept coming back at me was, I will sing of your mercy that leads me through valleys of sorrow to rivers of joy. And at that point it kind of felt like an admonition. I was very angry and I was like, well, then bring me the the, the rivers of joy. We're in the valley of sorrow now. I'm not feeling it. I'm still very angry. And for the rest of the time that my dad, that was about three weeks into him being sick. For the rest of the time, I just kept hearing that over and over. Wherever I had a silent moment, that's all I heard. Um, I was not a very nice person, I think, at that point to be around. I was like I said, angry, and tried to control everything to an extent where if my mom told me my dad looked good that day, I wouldn't just say, oh, thanks for the information. I'd ask her, but why are you saying that? What's his saturation like? How much oxygen is he on? Um, What is his infection marker looking like? Kind of ridiculous things, but I felt that if I knew those things, I could make sense of it all. Not true, by the way. Um, So... I was in a very, very dark space at that point in time, and I remember it was about two weeks before my dad passed away that for the first time I actually talked to God again. And it was after my mom had told me, um, and those of you who know my mother, my family knows, them, she is an eternal optimist. And she had t- said to me that morning that she had said to God that if my dad had to suffer anymore he should rather go because she doesn't want to see him in pain and i reacted again very maturely at the age of 24 with no i don't agree i did not agree to this how could you pray that (laughs) um and i was angry at her i said i didn't say you could say that i don't agree because i want my dad so you can't say these things and going home that afternoon um, on the road between Krigsdorp and Pretoria, before you get onto the N14, there's, it's Cradlestone Mall now, they were still building, and there's a big crossing, and I kind of was waiting for the robot to turn green, and I said, okay, God, you want to talk? We'll talk. But I'm going to probably scream a lot. I feel like you can handle it. Um, and that's what I did for the next 45 minutes. I cried, and I screamed, and I somehow got home. And in that time, I, I remember saying to God... Now, keeping in mind that my biggest fear was losing my, one of my parents. And I'd always thought that I would be like 55 with children when my parents passed away. And so I was driving and I said to God, Okay, it's fine. If you want to take my dad, that's cool. You do that, but then you might as well take me as well. Because I have nothing left to live for if you take my father away from me. So, your choice. Again, Very mature. <laughs> Very, and, and bargaining with God, not always the most clever thing to do. But that's pretty much all I felt like I could do at that point. And so kept, I kept on fighting. And then in the week before my dad bu- died, me, who always wants to get my own salvation and pay for my own salvation, heard three times, You've already, it's already been paid for. The first one was I went for drinks with friends after work and my car was looking horrible. So when I stopped, the car guard said, hey, can I wash your car for you? And I was in a rush and angry. So I said no. And when I came out, my car was spotless and and my first reaction was irritation because I thought he had heard incorrectly and now I had to go find 10 rand or whatever. And he's when I... Told him, you know, I didn't actually want you to wash my car. He said, oh no, someone who came in after you just said I should wash your car for you. It's already been paid for. Yeah. (laughs) And then I thought, okay, (laughs) that's pretty cool. The next day when I went to work, my boss called me in. And she said to me, you are taking leave now for two days because you need to go just be with your dad. It's already been put in for you. I've already arranged it. You're not. All you have to do is give a handover and then you're going tomorrow. Um, later on, I found that one of my friends had actually gone to her and said, she doesn't care what she'll organize with the other speech therapists. Please just do it for me. So again, someone else took care of it for me. And then, so it was the Wednesday, the Thursday, and on that Friday, um, I was at Ginger and Fig for the first time. Um, It was my day that I had leave and I went for breakfast. And as I walked in, I actually saw Pierre and Nick. And I I had that awkward, hi, I don't really know you. Um, (laughs) uh, uh, (laughs) I'm sometimes in the church. And uh, added to that, that fun moment where I haven't been in church for six weeks. So... Might have become a heathen in the time being, you never know. And (laughs) I sat and I had my breakfast and read and when I wanted to pay, the waitress came over and she said, oh no, don't worry, you don't have a bill, the guy sitting over there who left already paid for you. Keep in mind at this point they didn't even know what was going on in my life. So three times I had to hear, it's already been taken care of. And silly me, it took me... Only after my dad passed away, I was like, "Oh, pattern." Um, and that's when I started realizing I can stop fighting because God is actually already doing it for me. And not just then; now, even the days when I want to fight and I want to try figure things out on my own and want to try, yeah, want to try <laughs> be my own savior. I remember that that's not how it works. And the day that my dad passed away, any of you who have any experience in ICUs, um, the, (laughs) the nurses allowed me and my mom to stay there as long as we wanted. Now ICU nurses are really mean and very bad about time, so when they say stay as long as you want, you kind of know. And still at that point, I was holding on to so much anger and so much fear that I remember sitting there, standing next to my dad, and he was kind of in and out of consciousness at that point. And I said to him, it's okay. And it was the first time I actually said to him, it's okay. If you go, we'll be fine. And I don't think I actually believed it until I said it. But when I said it, I could literally feel the weight of the world just lifting off my shoulders, because then I finally realized "I'm." It's true. <laughs> Um, that was the Friday, he passed away on the Saturday and when I said about what happened on the Friday didn't make the Saturday or the weeks or the months after that any easier for me or make me miss my dad any less um, when I walked in to the hospital room after he passed away and I saw him um, my first instinct, all that I could do is I fell down to the floor because my center of gravity was gone all of a sudden But even with that, before anyone even came to me, I could feel God there with me, holding me. And that's, I think, what I took out of that. Now, you get the people who are really well-meaning and kind of go, oh, is that what you had to learn from the story? Um, (laughs) uh, I think I could have learned it in other ways, but, you know, but what I did... It is what I don't, and it is what I take with me every single day. I miss my dad more than I can describe. And 24 years kind of feels like a cheat when you were hoping for 55 with him. But I am extremely thankful that I could... um, that I could spend those 24 years looking up to someone who taught me about faith and taught me a lot about how to live and taught me about praying for others. (laughs) And even more than that, what I'm extremely, extremely thankful for today is I look back at that time that I was so angry. I look back at My life now where there are times when I try to do things on my own and try to play God in my own life and Jesus always comes back and catches me (laughs) and he's always there and I'm overwhelmed by his grace and his love and his unending mercy every single day and Yeah, that's actually just what I hope all of you experience, just to know that He loves you so much, (laughs) and you can be as angry as you want, and you can fight as hard as you want, and you can run away as far as you want from Him, but you're just running back to Him, and He's always there, and He has already paid for you and done everything for you. So, Thank you very much that I could share my story, and I hope you have a good week.
2: I really don't want to do this now. <laughs> so, um, so, I'm gonna sit down, because I, I, this is not like a... Um, okay. Hello, I am Christian. It means uh, representative of God, of Christ, actually, as most of us Afrikaans' names most probably mean. Um, okay, so I've actually never told this story before, so this is a bit of a challenge. and There's a lot of stuff that resonates um, with Ansonate's story, of course, and, you know, the more you learn about someone, the more beautiful they become. So, I mean, you've literally just, like, became more beautiful to me. I don't know. Sorry, that sounds weird, but that's kind of how it, how it occurs. Because the moment you understand someone's soul, you kind of understand where they come from and who they are. And you can start associating with them. And that's what relationship is all about. Um, just a quick summary. The reason why I'm crying is... I'm not very. I'm quite well known with death. I stopped counting at 28 of close friends and families that I've lost. So, the way Antoinette spoke about a father, I have <clears throat> I had quite a intimate relationship with my sister as well, which she was my soulmate. She was the person that knew me. And uh, okay. it basically was the same story. So, I think the ends and there's a lot of us that understand that okay so um i'm going to i'm going to talk a lot of negative stuff now so please understand that there was a lot of positive things as well but just for the fact that we don't have a lot of time i'm just going to kind of touch on the the major stuff right so my father is actually a dutch reformed reverend not a charismatic reverend and i grew up in the dutch reformed church as a missionary son, four kids, so I'm not a perfectionist, I think I'm the opposite. Um, um, And we grew up very poor, but it was okay, because we had a lot of fun. Um, We loved each other very much, and we spent a lot of time together, so it was really cool. And, um, yeah, I lost my sister. I'm not going to tell the story about my sister, because I feel that's not relevant tonight, but... But I also lost my sister in 2009, and that was quite dramatic. Uh, That was a core principle, but I'm going to tell kind of the story till before that happened. So, basically, I'm an extremist. Everything I do, I do in extremities. So, if I practice, I go full on, and I start spinning, and I do all these random stuff. If I stop practicing, I eat too much junk food, and I drink too much beer, and I get fat. That's how I work, (laughs) you know? Um, And... So that just gives you a bit of idea. So, when I was three years old, three, four years old, I was diagnosed with extreme dyslexia and ADHD. Um, back then, in the 80s, they didn't really understand what it was. So, they said that my mother should be okay with the fact that I'm going to go to a special school and, you know, kind of not have a normal life. And she was like, "My I allowed to swear? <laughs> so she was like, F that. So for the next like four or five years, he spent two hours every day with me. And when I went to grade one, I could read and write on a grade three level. My math was about on a grade four or five level. (coughs) So I went to a normal school. And, but that was dramatic just because two hours a day since you were three years old, you have to like learn how to read and write. It's kind of intense, you know, but whatever, it's not that bad. And then uh, went to school, was amazing. Grade three, beginning of grade three, um, I had quite a dramatic grade two just because of the academic elements, but grade three they told me, okay dude, you're stupid, you must go to a special school, so I'm like, damn it. So this school was 100 k's from my house, I had to drive there every day, mornings five o'clock you go, afternoons five o'clock you're back at home, so it's 12 hours as like a young dude, and you're... You lose all your friends, <coughs> you spend time with people that are special, highly intelligent mostly, but very special people. So from a very young age, I I developed an extremely low self-confidence, rooted within the core of my inner child. <coughs> this is basically the core of everything that was challenging for the rest of my life. I know it sounds stupid, but I'll get there. <laughs> um grade f- or grade what's what standard 6 grade 8 we moved my father took a severance package and we went to Plymouth bay and i moved to a school in george the worst school in the world i will not name its name i was sexually abused in the hostels um we were yeah i was constantly reminded that i'm stupid um i Basically got through by the like follow for my heart. I don't know. how to say that in English. Uh, there we go. Um, and everything. It was just quite a, a interesting journey through this time. And um, and getting through all these kind of things where you you give your everything because what you need to do is you need to prove that you are worth something every single second of every day. Every conversation you have everything you do you have to be able to convince yourself and the people around you that you are good enough so instead of eight grade ten i was running the culture i was running the choir i was running the the um, local paper the paper thingy i was junior um instead of the city council i still had a c average once i've worked my ass off you know um extra math teacher committed suicide one of the 30 32 or 28 anyway stuff like that happened <clears throat> but it was quite a challenge you know and within this time um i developed a a thing called messiah complex so basically the only way i can feel good enough about myself is to support someone else that can't maintain themselves this of course spills over in every single element of your life your friends your family your loved ones the people you choose as as romantic partners and um and so i went through this journey a lot of things happened in between of course and um within this time uh because this, I've, I've been singing since i was can't even remember i literally um and this is I'm blessed my mother is a music teacher uh, and a teacher that special, specialized in music. Um, and I would stand with her while they were saying choir, and I would lis- literally start singing tenor before I could speak. So I would make sounds that sounded like the rest of the the, the music, and I was like... Ma, ma, na, 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 na. I couldn't speak, but I could actually sing harmonies. So music is a very big part of who I am and where, where, where I try to be. So at the age of seven, I knew I was going to be a musician because... Um, I figured out that the, uh, I f- finally understood that the boys' like, voice breaks. And I can remember I was still in our combi, and we were on our way to Voortrekker, and I started crying my eyes out. My mother was, what's wrong? And I'm like, mom, I want to sing for a living. If my s- voice breaks, I won't be able to sing anymore. Um, so I mean, from a very young age, I knew this. And um, performance, of course, is another way to win people's favor and to be good enough. So that was a very big part of my life, still is. Um, And of course, going um, through after high school, I went to uh, 13th floor, spent some time there. It was amazing. It was actually one of the best years of my life. Um, Went to study music. And then the pattern of engaging with um, self-sabotage relationships began in my life. And this is something that... that is highly destructive because uh, remember I told you I'm a uh, all of nux everything I give my everything so when I'm in a relationship be it a friend and this is something that came from I can from young for very young age if I if I connect to a f- or commit to a friend I give my everything I became, become come that friends support system I become that friends everything and then because I have a messiah complex I am drawn to people that cannot be self-sustainable, so they are broken and I prop them up. But I do not fix them. I only maintain their brokenness. I give them some leverage to go further. So the end situation, it's usually between a year and a half and two and a half years, they just break because they're just too broken. And then I break because I couldn't rescue them, but I can't because I'm not responsible for them. It's Jesus and them, no one else. They need to... Resp- people, we take responsibility for our lives. I can be your friend, but you still need to, you know, put petrol on your car. I can't do that for you. Um, and the relationship started forming, especially the romantic relationships, <coughs> where I would literally give my everything and change my whole life's path to be able to maintain a broken person, which would inevitably fall down and shatter into pieces. <coughs> anyway, and... um what happened was I was currently in one of those relationships where I was dating a girl that was bipolar. <clears throat> we didn't know it at that stage. <laughs> but I would literally wash her um, dishes and she would like crap on my head because she, she, um, I'm telling her she's not good enough. <laughs> you know, stuff like that. Really a hard. It was in a very bad space. And then I heard the Lord telling me I must go to Cape Town to study theology. And I was like, okay... Because then I'm not going to be close to my girlfriend. Oh, no. (laughs) But that's kind of the subconscious thing that your mind does to kind of get you out of these situations. And I was very broken. The charismatic story, I might tell another day. But I had a very bad run with the charismatic movement. Um, Very, very bad. the, The aggressive, charismatic guys. So... You know, the whole spirituality thing, growing up in the church, being in an aggressive um, church. You know, I was always involved with churches and, and how they work. But it's always been a bit tight, as if there's not life in it. You know, my father's a loving person. I love him. And, but the churches that I was in, they weren't alive. They were structures. Anyway, so I went to Cape Town to study theology and music and sound engineering at Adventure Tourism. And tour all at once. And my ADHD just went, yes! And it was the crappest year of my life. Um, but basically, a lot of stuff happened that was bad. But, um, but I, I, I got involved with a community that, that was so disconnected to itself that it didn't really realize when someone was broken or in pain. So everything went about the structure and the sermon and the, the, what do you call it, the purpose and where we're we going. And we're going to pray for this combi because we're going to own it. And we're going to pray for this farm because we're going to own it. And everything happened. They own all these lovely things now. But they kind of forgot the people. <clears throat> and in this emotional turmoil that I was at that stage, all these things just kind of accumulated to a point where I couldn't handle it anymore inside. It was, was very... Extreme, I don't know how to say it, but everything was just kind of falling apart around me. I made choices that was bad. I didn't get the qualifications that they promised. You know, I would have gotten a theological qualification, a sound engineering qualification. And at the end of the day, when I got there, everything was fake. Like, they, they couldn't deliver on their promises. So I was spending these th- hundreds of thousands of rands on something that didn't work. I wasn't happy. I was falling apart. I went to the main Christian leader and I told him, listen, dude, you need to help me. And he told me, you know what, go to God and fix yourself. And I was like, yes, but I need guidance. He's like, no, you don't. You just need Jesus. And that's the last I spoke to him in a like a, a social type of field. The rest of my conversations were all like attacks and, and defenses and it was very ugly. Then after six months... Um, a few more people died in my life. Three people died that year that was very close to me. Uh, uh, one of my best, well, actually, my first best friend in that special school, the guy I actually connected with, he died. He committed suicide. And uh, I just kind of broke. And I went to our version of the social worker, whatever it was. And we had, I made seven um, appointments with him, and he broke all seven. And I was like, fuck it. (laughs) I don't believe in God because I'm between 72 Christians and nobody cares. I'm like, this whole life, it was a waste. And there was a lot of stuff happening. I couldn't leave because my father said that Christians don't sue other Christians. And it was quite an interesting space to be in, but I was forced to stay there. And I was part of a worship team. Of course, the first six months was hell because everything went wrong, and it was all my fault. And I'm sure some of it was my fault, but like, you can't like really blame everything on someone, you know? And um, so the second, the second year, I just kind of fired everybody that pissed me off. And I was like, you really suck. You can't play drums anymore. Sorry, bye. He's like, what, you can't do it? And like, I don't care, dude, just go. And then all of a sudden, everything just started working. But every time before I went to worship, before I went on stage, I said, I would have a little mantra. I would say, I do not believe in God. All that I do now is out of my own knowledge and my own skills, and for some reason, every time I sang, people would come to me and say, "You're so blessed in the holy spirit and and they would prophesy on me and and people would cry and the, the previous six months was pathetic, it was like singing to a wall, and the six months they was an atheist, like people would like like freak out, and I was like, "This is such a joke." <laughs> like this Christianity thing is all emotional manipulation and there was a lot of stuff involved with that but afterwards of course when I told everybody I'm leaving all of a sudden they offered me leadership roles and they wanted me to to redesign their music theory system and everything all of a sudden now now I'm really cool and I was just like I'm I'm just really over this. I don't care about you, I don't care about your community, I don't care about your anything, so just please leave me. <laughs> you know, and they like literally tried to phone my father and phone my mother and they had like the church that put oh yeah the church on the censure, what's that in English? They put put me on a censure because I studied theology at a AMF organization. So I was like, okay, that's cool. So, my own church like, kind of threw me out because I went to study theology. You know? So, they actually phoned our pastors well, or the river and tried to try and convince me. And it was a dog show. So, sorry, I'm almost finished. Um, so, long story short, I kind of came to Pretoria once again after a girl that I met that was extremely broken. And we would have gone to London together. And we spent. We were together for about three three months. And I said, "Cool, let's go to London together." And she's like, "Yeah," and I went over to Pretoria to come. Uh, we I would have stayed at her parents' house, and we would have worked to get money, and then we would have gone to London for two years. It was like this magical story of yes. The moment I left God, everything falls in place, you know. And I was like, everything just was like God is a is a joke and he's a myth. And the moment you leave him, everything just starts working out. And that was like the the fantasy I was living in. And um, when I when I landed in Pretoria in J- or Orotombo or whatever it was called then, I got this SMS that says, Hey man, I don't think it's going to work out. Sorry. At this point, my father was in the hospital in Bloemfontein. I had like no money, nobody to call. I was like in Joburg. It's was like, okay. So I came to Pretoria with my last hundred bucks or whatever it cost and I had like 20 rand. And the next three weeks, I slept in parks and shelters, and I know Craig quite well. And uh, literally I literally had my guitar and a little backpack with some clothes in. <coughs> and uh, I was sleeping on the street and going through rubbish and doing that whole spiel. And uh, you know, phoning my mother every second day, saying, "Oh, it's cool. I'm staying with friends, and we're getting an amazing time." And and meanwhile, I was like living like a bum, <coughs> and uh, you know, hiding my guitar so that people didn't steal it, and you know, got mugged a few times. And it was quite interesting. And um, and finally got my way. A really cool lady came to save me at that point. Stayed with her for free. I knew her family somehow. And at that stage, I kind of I started mingling with different religions because I just like this atheist thing is not working for me. So I went to Buddhism, and Buddhism was like basically organized atheism, you know. And I was like, okay, well, that's not working. Um, and. Um, you know, made a made a slight turn at Satanism but I couldn't even get into the door. And I was just like, dude, seriously, are you joking now? We're gonna slaughter a cat, okay. <laughs> yeah, whatever. And um and that was that was quite funny. And then I just became like a a a religion that everybody kind of can associate with as uh I became an alcoholist. It's it's a church you get a lot of churches, especially in Adfield and. And I, I basically, you know, just consumed alcohol wherever I could go. It was like the Holy Spirit to me. And uh, I would work really hard. And I got a few breaks then, became a sound engineer and made quite a lot of money. And I would just drink it out and just go out. Thank God I never got involved with drugs because I swear I would be a druggy now. Because it's everything or nothing, remember. Anyway, and um, and I can remember one night. I was, I was so lost. But, you know... Vodka and Black Label numb the pain, so you you think you're okay. And uh, one night I went to a place called Nile Crocodile, and I got smashed, but like so drunk I couldn't even stand my own two feet, and I was sitting in these dirty couches, and this random dude comes to sit next to me, and I'm like, hey man, he's like, hey, and I'm like, he's like, I miss you, like, who the hell are you, dude, I'm not gay, It's like, nope, I'm not, I'm not judging, I'm just saying I'm not, you know, and um, so this dude's just like, I miss you, I'm like, who the hell are you, and he's like, I'm your father, I'm like, okay, you must be like really high, or I must be like really drunk, maybe it's both, so let's just play along, so I have this conversation with this dude, and the guy's like, he tells me, listen here, I see you've lost faith, I'm like, there has to be faith before you can lose it there's no god so there can't be faith so he's like okay cool make me a promise i'm like okay he's like watch saved when you wake up tomorrow and i'm like what's that it's like it's a movie I'm like okay cool so i don't know how i got home the next day or the evening um woke up drank my bubbles away I was like, okay, cool. And then all of a sudden, I remember this movie, Saved. And I'm like, I remember this random conversation. I'm like, okay. So I watched this movie, bawled my eyes out. And I'm like, I get it. Because my whole life, church was about the building and about the religion and about the rules and the systems and what you may or may not do, what, how... How many people cry when you sing? How many people fall over? How many people pay their their, their, um, 10% whatever commission to Christ? And this movie, I, I implore you to go watch it if you haven't seen it before. It's all about relationship within Christ. It's this gay guy and this Roman Catholic chick chick and this druggie and this paraplegic that comes together and kind of becomes a community and save this girl. And I was like... That's not church and me that is church. God is love, God is body. God is not a building. You kind of know these things, but you don't grasp it. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, okay, this is so weird. And how did this guy know this? So, I phoned my friend mates that were with me at this pub, and I'm like, "Hey dudes, what who's this guy that like spoke to me? Like when you came to fetch me, what's happening?" And like, "Dude, you were sitting on a couch talking to yourself." I'm like, Okay, what? <laughs> like we we're like sitting, laughing at you, because you're sitting for like an hour talking to the to yourself on this couch, and you're like mumbling and talking and like weird stuff. And I'm like, okay. So, one can say that maybe I was really drunk and I was just hallucinating, and maybe somebody slipped a roofie in my drink. It's possible, but I I kind of prefer to believe that Christ was like, okay, dude, you need to, voot that. I don't know what that is in English. You need to kind of get this out of your system. And then he, he allowed me to do that, and he had to let me go really far so that I can grasp the depth of what he is and what we are. The next week, a guy called Meinert von Pletsen phoned me, and he's like, hey man, um, I'm in this church, you want to come join? I'm like, okay. And I went to the old Morleta at Rubenstein. And um, I met these wonderful people, uh, Pierre and Rialet and, and all these these amazing people that I started journeying with, and that became my my family. And um, and that's why I'm sitting here. And that's why I'm part of Third Place. Because I can promise you now, if Third Place stops just existing, I would not go to another church. I would just start communing with my friends, because the journey I've been through is too big, and it's too loud for me to go back to a structure. And there's grace and structure and garden structure, and Jesus is there, and everything is there. But for me, it's not my home. This is my home. You are my home. And um, I'm not always. I'm far from perfect. And I still like my wine. But but um, there's two things I want to read to you. Like, uh, sorry man, thanks. Like, uh, to net, <laughs> quite ironic, that is one of my favorite crying songs as well. Um, my One of my biggest heroes in life is Robin Williams. Because I think that I understand him. Or he understands me, maybe. And he committed suicide last year, I don't know if you guys know about that. But <clears throat> he... Um, he has a saying and remember just coming back to the to i need to save people and after a lot of psychological help and that helped me i'm kind of almost over it but <laughs> you know he said i think that sad the saddest people always try the hardest to make people happy because they know that it's uh, it's like it uh, because they know what it's like to feel absolutely worthless and they don't want anyone else to feel that way that 's kind of how I lived my life till I was about twenty two just trying to because you 'll see also those of you that don 't know me well i 'm always loud and i 'm trying to make a joke and that 's kind of how I saw life and Then about a year after I had this whole ordeal, um, I found this song they came to to our church uh, casting oath to one of these gospel bands, but they had this song. And this kind of became a mantra, because my life, it's not the worst life ever, but it hasn't been easy. You know, there's been a few bumps. And um, and I realized this one thing that kind of sticks out for me. This song, the chorus goes as follows. And I'll praise you in the storm, and I will lift my hands. For you are oh, who you are, no matter where I am. And every tear I've cried. You hold my hand. (coughs) Although my heart is torn, I will praise you in the storm. (laughs) And I want to thank you all for being there for me, even when I'm torn.
0: Thank you, Tian. Uh, Thank you, guys. Thank you, Antoinette, for telling your story and for Tian for sharing your story. And... um, Thank you all for listening. It is the greatest honor in the world to be listened to, so we don't take it lightly. Thank you, guys. Please finish the wine. We're not going to hand it out to the car guards. <laughs> and uh, and the bread and so forth. So uh, thank you guys for joining us tonight. And that's it. Thanks.